Well, hopefully you did a self-assessment this week after last week's message. And you know if you are strong in faith or weak in faith. Will all the strong in faith come forward? (laughs) What? It's a self-assessment, right? That's what Paul's doing. He's like called himself strong and... So, how do you know if you're strong or weak in the faith? That's a great question. Uh, I would hope that I'm strong in faith. Uh, it, I have faith, and you have faith. We, we literally have the same faith because faith comes from God. Now, it, sa- it says that He doles out the faith, like there's portions and bigger portions and and so if uh, faith doesn't come from me and I need to be strong in faith, where am I going to go to get faith from the provider of faith? Like there's something that I always ask for from the Lord, and people ask me all the time, well, what can I be praying for you? Well, uh, one, I don't say faith, but I say wisdom, that the Lord would just give me wisdom because I believe wisdom comes from the Lord. And then I also pray for faith, just more faith. It's the matter of being able to trust not only what I read, but what I teach and uh, what I live out. And so, uh, yeah, I think we're constantly assessing ourselves and where we are spiritually. And again, it's not based upon anything that we do. It's really not. It's not based upon what we do. We as a society have a tendency to judge the world by the things that they do, especially Christians inside the church, who memorizes the most scripture, who's the most eloquent in speaking, who's constantly sharing their faith, and who's helping with donuts and coffee, (laughs) even just the little things. It's, uh, It's all a measurement of what we do. And so Paul's here in the last chapter, chapter 14, he was encouraging those who were strong in faith not to overpower, not to like puff up against those who are weak in faith, not to like really get into debate with them. But maybe you even have to get down on their level to be able to talk to them, to be able to minister to them, to be able to reach them. You see, because I I believe that we can easily get distracted by the sideshow, and what I mean by the sideshow is all the things that are uh, not dealing with Jesus. Like, we can hang out in a group, and we can have a lot of discussions that don't pertain to Jesus, especially nowadays. And then you get into the debate and you find out quickly that you're not on the same page with those people across the table from you and there becomes this division in the group. And I think what Paul's literally saying is, is it that important, is the discussion that important that it's going to cause division between the two of you? If that is the case, then you as who are strong in faith need to tone it down a bit. You just need to stop. 
And that brings us to where we are in chapter 15, verse 1. He says this, Now, we who are strong... This isn't an argument between the Jews and the Gentiles right here because you know that Paul is a Jew, all right? And he's calling himself strong. Well, why would you refer to the Jews as being weak? Well, the Jews are the ones that denied that Jesus was the Messiah. And the Gentiles were all of a sudden the ones that believing that Jesus was the Messiah. But that's not what he's saying because obviously he's a Jew. He says, now we who are strong have an obligation I have a hard time using the word obligation all the time as a Christian uh, because I don't feel like I'm obligated. I don't feel like it's my responsibility. I feel like I just live my life and things naturally happen. It's not that I'm obligated. But he says, those who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. So obviously I have my opinions and beliefs. I'm wearing one right here. And you may be opposed to those opinions and beliefs. And because of that, I have to trust the spirit that lives in me. I have a spirit of God that lives, that's alive, that talks to me and walks with me just like you do. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have that same spirit that I have, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It's there. And I have to listen to that spirit. Do I unpack my opinions and my beliefs with the person that I sit across from? Now, as growing up, I was trained to force my opinions and my beliefs on others to get them to believe what I believe. That's what I was literally trained. Even in seminary, we call that evangelism 101. Close the deal. Tell them about Jesus, get them to believe in Jesus, get them to say a prayer, and you got another mark of a one soul. That was what I was taught, is like, close the deal, close the deal. Now, I've discovered, because the Spirit has revealed it to me, is the best evangelism is to wait. Can you wait? I got a text this morning at 12.49 a.m. Just, it happens all the time. I get texts in the middle of the night. I don't answer them. I don't look at them until I wake up. So my phone's on. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying all this is I'm going to get texts in the middle of the night. all <laughs> I, tell, I always tell them, like, if you need me in the middle of the night, you call me. You don't text me. I, I'm not answering texts. At 1249, I got this. Having a discussion earlier in the night. That is a very wise way of putting it, and I think you're completely right. What you just said kind of plays into what I've been sitting on today. I've had a lot of chaos throughout the course of my life. My parents and their nasty divorce, an absent father... Depression and anxiety. Sure, a lot of people have had way more chaos, but that doesn't devalue my own perceptions. I've grown up in a life where chaos is normal and it is expected. I can see it in my mom and my brother and my father when I think about it. Each in unique ways. We all share it, I think, but I think for people like us, if life doesn't have chaos, it just feels uncomfortable. 
I really can't speak for my family, but I can for myself, and I feel uncomfortable when things are calm or good by the, by the standard definition. I think I create chaos in my life to feel comfortable. I've got to relearn how to live again. I have waited seven years for that text. that I got at 12.49 a.m. this morning. I could have easily forced my opinions and my beliefs on this person over the years, but it would have fallen on deaf ears. But now, this person is at a point in their life where they're like reaching out, raising their hand, saying, Help. I'm lonely. I'm trying to figure this out. I've literally waited seven years for that, to open this door. But the idea that they need chaos in their life, you know, I'll respond to this later in the day. The idea that they need chaos in their life, I'm literally okay with that because I'm a person too that probably thrives in chaos. That's just the way that the, I was saying last night to a friend that that's just the way the Lord's designed me is, is I, I'm a chaplain for the police. I have to notify people that loved ones have died. I, I deal with this stuff all the time. It's kind of the way I'm wired, and some people are not wired that way. So chaos is, surrounds me. But here, here's the difference is, most of the time, it's not my chaos. It's everybody else's chaos. And so, uh, my, my focus is not on myself most of the time. Most of the time, it's on other people's chaos. Now, sometimes I still create that chaos in my own life. I, I still do that. I still mess up, and I still do things that I don't want to do, but this is where the strong, those who are strong in faith begin to bear the weight of the weak. For those who create chaos in their life to have chaos, I think the strong come along to like encourage them. And I don't do that to, to definitely please myself to help them, to encourage them. I, I don't think that that's why I do it. But Paul's saying, we have to come alongside the weak and bear some of this chaos that's being created. Verse 2, it says, each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to build them up. Uh, there's a party in my cul-de-sac coming up this Friday night. Like, the whole cul-de-sac's going to get together, and uh, I, I'll feed everybody physically because I enjoy doing that. But the hope of building a relationship with my neighbors to feed them physically so later we can feed them spiritually. And we wait. We literally wait for opportunities because there will be crisis, there will be chaos, there will be, and they're going to look for somebody for answers. 
each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. And then verse 3, it says, For even Christ did not please himself. Be careful how you read that. Because you can read that like he's not happy with himself. And that's not what it's saying. Literally, Jesus came here on earth and it wasn't to please himself. It wasn't to make himself happy. I read that again. For even Christ did not please himself. He didn't come here for the sole purpose of pleasing himself. Jesus literally came to serve others, to include you and me into the fellowship of the Trinity. Did you hear that? He came to serve others so that you may know the good news, that you may know God the Father through Jesus Christ and a spirit come live within you. And you have been invited into the fellowship of the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Spirit. They have been forever in the past, forever in the future. Now that you believe, so are you. You're in the fellowship. We look at Mark. Mark said in chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. I didn't come to please myself. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Just, just think about it for a second. Before... Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. He was sitting with the Father in heaven and had everything. Everything. He was rich. He was wealthy. And he came down here to the, as a poor person for one reason. To save you. So that you too could be with the Father and be rich. That's what Jesus did. In Philippians, Paul says this, chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. You see, Jesus didn't come here to please himself. He literally came here for the sole purpose of saving you so that you could be a part of the family of God. Sure, he is pleased in you. I believe that. I believe that Jesus is pleased in you. He's thankful for you. He's thankful for just you being but he came to rescue you and to show you a pattern of life that works in a fallen world. Like, how, how do we live in this fallen world? Well, look what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He came to serve. He focused on others. It was not about him. It was about everybody else. He came to die for someone other than himself. Continues on in verse 3, it says, On the contrary, as it is written, the insults 
of those who insult you have fallen on me. He is literally quoting David out of Psalm 69, 9 right there. Think about this for a minute. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. What David said, what David said in Psalm, Paul is transferring to Jesus. Let me read it again. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. David wrote that. King David wrote that. But when Paul uses it in this letter to the church at Rome, he's transferred it to Jesus. And then what David said was actually true for Paul. Paul was insulted. And what David said is actually true for the believers today. I expect a fallen world to reject what I'm teaching here today. I expect that. I expect to be critiqued and analyzed and opposed and even insulted. Just like Jesus. Just like David. Just like Paul. And here's here's the beauty of it is I don't have to defend it. I don't have to defend it. I really don't. If they want to believe that about me, about my father, that's their deal. Verse 4, it says, For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. Valuable tool for you right here. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus. Luke, what does your passage say? Right there? Verse 5? You showed it to me at the beginning. He's probably already... To be of the, what translation is that? (laughs) I would expect nothing less. I would expect nothing less. He was reading the New American Standard, for those of you that don't know. And uh, it says, uh, in there it says, be of the same mind. That I, I, I would like for it to say the mind of Christ, but it says, to be of the same mind with one another. Mind says to, to live in harmony with one another. That means to be of the same mind that we think alike. That's the reason we hang out together. That's why we have community together. But don't forget what the end of that passage says, according to Christ Jesus. I have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. We have the ability to think alike because it has been given to us the once we believed. My old heart was taken out. My sinful nature was taken out. It was done away with. I received a new heart. I don't have a sinful nature anymore. The things that I do are the things of God. Yeah, sometimes I still sin. Sometimes I still chase my flesh. Sometimes I'm still selfish. I get it. But I also have been given the mind of Christ and the same mind that you have, and we're able to think alike. We're able to process alike. Now, watch you get your, your, your thoughts, we get our thoughts all from our senses, the experiences, and it gets logged in our brain, our hard drive. 
you get your thoughts from the Spirit of God who lives in you, but then you also get your thoughts from what Paul says, this power that dwells in our flesh, this sinful power. And so that's where all these crazy thoughts come from. I get crazy thoughts. Crazy thoughts. Evil thoughts. Where in the world did that come from if I have a new heart? Paul says there's this power that dwells in my flesh. And so with those thoughts of my experiences in the past, God speaking to me and this power of sin that's working on me, I had to filter it through this processor called the mind of Christ. What is truth and what is lies? Sometimes my emotions lie to me. Sometimes my feelings are not true. And I have to be able to decipher what's true according to the mind of Christ that I have been given. If I live by feelings and emotions, whoo, you're messed up. That is the truth. But if I can focus on the mind that we've been given and we live in harmony together because we think alike, it's a beautiful thing so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. You know, sadly, uh, some people call themselves Christians, have abandoned the faith. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about because uh, you've experienced it just as well as I have. You, you've listened to pastors, teachers, and shepherds for a long time and you're like man they're phenomenal they're phenomenal and then all of a sudden they begin to turn like their theology changes you you know what i'm talking about and it's like oh wow you know they were incredible teachers but then it somewhere it got derailed it got derailed and we have to figure out wait if I have the mind of Christ, are we still on the same page? Are we still thinking like, no, we, we are not. And that's sad. That's sad, I get that. And sometimes, because that happens, it causes division. It causes separation, which I believe that division is the biggest plot of the evil one. The more he can divide, the more he can divide and pull you away and separate you and put you in isolation by yourself where your thoughts just go nuts, he wins. He wins. So division is a tactic of the evil one, and sometimes, sometimes we have to be able to use this processor to go, it's not that important, it is that important that I need to separate myself. But Paul is saying we don't have to divide ourselves over every little difference or opinion or interpretation. We don't have to. There's people in this room right here that I agree with on the main thing. And then there's little things that I don't necessarily agree with you and you don't agree with me. And that's okay. That's not going to like separate us. It's not the deal breaker. And that's all Paul's saying is like, those of you who are strong in faith, sometimes you just need to shut your mouth and come alongside those who are weak in faith. So that at some point, you might have an opportunity to have a conversation with them that will impact what they believe. Verse 7, it says, 
Therefore, welcome one another just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. For I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers. And so the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy as it is written. And then he goes into, Paul goes into a series of just quoting these Old Testament passages. You know throughout Paul's letter that he uses the Old Testament all the time to affirm what he's teaching. He says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praise to your name. That comes out of 2 Samuel 22.50 and also Psalm 18.49. Both places David is saying that. King David is saying that. Verse 10, it says, again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. That comes out of Deuteronomy 32, 43. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples praise him. That's Psalm 117, 11. David said that. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. The Gentiles will hope in him. He just quoted Isaiah eleven ten. He's literally sat there and quoted all this Old Testament scripture. And he says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the point of those Old Testament quotations then is to remind the believers, who's he writing to? He's writing to the church in Rome. It's to remind the believers in Rome that God's purpose is to bring Gentiles and Jews together in his end time. Like, this is all going to be of the same faith. You've got Jews in Rome and you've got Gentiles in Rome. The Gentiles are getting it. The Jews are slowly getting it. Don't look down upon them because you got it before they did and you think you have something special. Don't become divided over this. You are all one and we can go back to the Old Testament and see this is exactly the way that God has planned it all along. So don't become divided now at the point when it's supposed to be unified. And then he begins to wrap up Here we go. He begins to wrap up his letter to this church at Rome. Paul is is known for doing several things in his letters, his Greek letters. It's like three parts, an introduction, a conclusion, of course, the body in between. So like right here, we get to Romans uh, 15, 14. We're now coming to the conclusion of his letter. And if you look at all of his letters, several usual things happen in the conclusion. He will talk about his own ministry and his plans for ministry. He'll ask the readers to pray for him all the time. And he'll mention some of his co-workers who are with him, and they'll also send greetings to other people. And he will greet people in the churches. This is what Paul does as he finishes all of his letters. And so, of course... He's going to do it with Romans. Now, this is the end of chapter 15 and all of 16. It's rather long as compared to his other letters. And you sit there and ask why, and it's because, well, all the other letters that Paul wrote were to churches that he went and started. 
He's never been to Rome. He's never been to the church in Rome. So now he has to spend a lot more time probably giving value to his own ministry, giving value to their ministry, talking about more people. And so it's a little bit more extensive. He's a bit unknown to them because he's not been there. But watch what he does in verse 14. He says, My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness. How does he know that? He's not met them. But he's heard a lot about them. Filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. God's purpose is that the Gentiles may be in an acceptable offering, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There's still this issue of the Jews accepting Gentiles into the faith. And he's pressing one more time. As I wrap up this letter, let me tell you one more time. This is about the Gentiles being a part of the faith. You may look down upon them. You may think that they're nasty and all these other opinions. But I'm telling you what my father, God the Father, thinks about these Gentiles. And they're part of the plan. They have great value. Verse 17, he says, Therefore... I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Elikram. Elikram was the name of the Roman province that occupied approximately the space that you now know as Serbia and Albania, also Croatia. I'll throw some maps up to you real quick because it's important for you to see this. I'm going to throw the first map up there. Is This is Paul's third missionary journey, and you can see this is where we're on. He's on his third missionary journey. But you can see... The bottom right is uh, down there in Jerusalem, or in Israel, where he started. And he pretty much covers that whole area by Asia and Macedonia. That's as far as he goes. But let's go to the Roman Empire map, the next one. And you can see the Roman Empire map is a little bit bigger. Uh, it's more general. You can see, once you see the boot, you know this is Italy, and you know that Rome is inside of Italy, right? <coughs> But remember where Paul was. He started in Jerusalem and he covered this whole area right here. Just around the Aegean Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, he got up to Macedonia. But he said he got all the way into Elikram. He got all the way up into here. Like the message got up in here. Now, let's show a Google map. A Google map will show you that this is Albania, this is Serbia, this is Croatia. The message went all the way up there from Paul. He's like, I've, I've taken this message, and the message has been the same. Haven't got to Rome yet. So it kind of draws from Jerusalem to Elikram, 
through many of the places where Paul has planted churches on his first, second, and third missionary journeys. And then verse 20 says this, My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. He's quoted Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15 right there. Throughout this letter, he's literally quoting the Old Testament. He says, those who were not told about him will see. Who wouldn't that refer to? Probably the Gentiles. Because they weren't told about him. He's like, I'm not necessarily interested in going places where other where other prophets, where other pastors, where other missionaries have already gone and sowed the foundation of Christ. I'm interested in going where people have not heard this message. That's what he's saying. This is where we get a lot of our missions opportunities and mindset is from Paul. But then he also says, and those who have not heard will understand. He's literally talking about the Jews who at this point have faith in God, but they haven't necessarily been able to hear because they haven't had ears to hear. But maybe now they do have the ears to hear and they can understand what Jesus has done for them. As we wrap up, we wrap up next week, he's literally going to talk about, this is what my plans are here in the near future. I want to get to Rome. I want to come hang out with you. I want to be able to encourage you in your faith. I want to hang out with the strong. I want to hang out with the weak. So you sit here today and you assess yourselves whether you're strong in faith or weak in faith. Forget it. Forget it. Forget the assessment. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters right here in this very room right here is the spirit that lives inside of you and that you know that spirit and you're able to hear that spirit. And when you hear that spirit, you most likely will obey the spirit. Obey means to hear. It means to hear. So don't worry about your self-assessment. If you're walking by the spirit, if you can hear the spirit, you're good to go because he will tell you when to speak up. He will tell you when to shut your mouth. You don't have to worry about it. He'll do it. Trust him. Father, I pray for those in this room that we can know your spirit. We can know what we have been given, that we can know what resides in us. And when we know that, that we not only hear it, but we can be obedient to that, that we can walk by your spirit rather than our own flesh. And through that, we'll recognize that you have made us strong in faith. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.